focused on setting myself up with some systems that keep my sleep in place, keep my health in place and replenishment and arm me with the tools I need to go into the war zone. Hello and welcome to Mother the Mother. I am McLean McGowan. This podcast is an offering for all women to gather energetically, sister to sister, mother to mother, to co-create a sacred space for healing, educating, and sharing as we journey through motherhood and womanhood. It is such an incredibly powerful moment in time to be a woman. And I thank you for showing up on behalf of yourself and for all of the women in your lives, past, present, and future to honor our matriarchal lines, all who came before and all who will come after. Jema. Hi everyone, thanks for tuning in today. I had the honor of sitting down with the mother-loving future ladies today. And they are fabulous. If you don't know them, they are a dynamic duo and they have the podcast, The Mother-Loving Future. Amber Lestrange and Jenna Penrose, and they are two awesome women and mothers. Um, They interviewed me last September, and it was the third interview that I had ever done, and it really got me amped up to start this podcast. So it was full circle to have them here in my home and interviewing them and having some really interesting discussions on the journey of one kid to two kids and just life as a mother and finding any semblance of balance, conscious partnership, looking back at their postpartum shifts and what worked, what didn't work, what they might do differently. And also they dropped some very big news, the first public announcement. So dot, 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 you must listen to find out the news, but it was a pretty exciting unveiling. Anyway, I just love being around them. They both have their own lens with which they discuss all of these topics, which I find entertaining and also very educational to get different perspectives on the different subjects. And sometimes I agree with one of them. Sometimes I agree with the other. Sometimes, or a lot of the time, I'm kind of in between. So always inspiring to be with other women that are in service to other women. And so thank you for tuning in and I hope you enjoy the listen. Jay Ma. Hi, ladies. Hi. So glad you're here. Hi. Thank you for having us. Thank you for coming. I'm here with Amber and Jenna from Mother Loving Future. That's us. That's <laughs> you. We're um, here in your beautiful house. <laughs> Thank you. Sipping on the most amazing organic chai tea with honey and macadamia nut milk. True, I know. You got it all happening. (laughs) So good. So I did a podcast with you guys last September, which really kind of put fire under my bum to get mine going. So I'm so honored that you're here with me. I'm so happy that we're living out your manifestation from way back then. It's so exciting. Good on you. Thank you. And really happy that you started this podcast. There's been several people that I've pushed in this direction because I know people need support postpartum. So thank you Mm -hmm. for providing this. Thank you. Ditto. I love listening to you all. And I think, you know, you really bring in such a wide variety of people, which makes it always just fascinating. I learned so much. So 
Thank you. And I also love you guys as a duet <laughs> because I feel like some things I'll really relate from Amber, some things I'll really relate you know, to you, Jenna. And it's like, it's a nice combo. And you guys, I think really, I don't know, it's like a beautiful dance. So it's fun to listen to. I was just going to say that we are definitely the yin and yang. So we bring mm-hmm. that like that polarity sometimes, if not all the time, but we agree on stuff too. Yeah, totally. <laughs> but, he, but even just in your delivery, like if you still agree on it, but it's also just like the lens, you know, mm-hmm. and how you express it, which I think is really cool. It's Sometimes fun for I us have as well. to like think like, you know, remember to like change your voice tone a little bit. Sometimes I get just so chill vibes. But Who's more like that? Jenna. <laughs> <laughs> it's only think, because maybe. she seems like that because I'm so expressive yeah. that it probably... You're probably normal. And I'm the one who's a little bit like, whoa, 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 whoa. so that makes sense. Well, you're just seem... more extroverted. So yeah, it's true. You're the extrovert and I'm the introvert. Yeah. That's the yin and the yang, baby. I know, Divine I union. I know. It yeah, works. It's great. <laughs> but it's good because it's like, it really resonates for showing the different aspects of all mm-hmm. your topics. So mm-hmm. you got something good. Designed to saying. be together. Designed to <laughs> be together. You. You're welcome. So I feel like, as we were just discussing before recording, there are endless topics that we could be discussing today. But I thought we would start by talking about your journey right now, Amber, and kind of what you're dealing with as you usher in a second baby. No one knows she's ushering a second baby, <laughs> by the way, but now they do. Now they we do. need a drum roll for that. Should we Sorry. do a redo? Ready? <laughs> <laughs> Announcing. Breaking news. Big announcement. <laughs> Breaking news. Amber has a bun in the oven. <laughs> Halfway so baked. Cute. It's so cute. Your I don't know. Half baked. Teeny weens. Half baked. <laughs> and it's very cute. And it's a complete mystery right now, which makes it even mm. more magical and fascinating to me. Mm. But, Thank you for sharing in this space. No worries. Love, it's got to come out sometime. Oh, it's so it's been a very interesting journey because just so different from the first pregnancy, which I wasn't really anticipating. Mm-hmm. Well, and also you've been through a lot since the first pregnancy. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the, mm-hmm. the listeners might want to know a little bit just mm-hmm. about how amazing it is that you're even pregnant right now. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to, to get start. into it. So I have a four and a four and a half year old son, Valentine, mm-hmm. my little cherub so angel. I love him. He's definitely a Pleiadian starseed. Mm-hmm. And some intense soul contract I have with him here mm-hmm. on earth. So Valentine, before I had Valentine, I was under the impression that I was infertile because I had suffered from a pretty severe case of polycystic ovarian mm-hmm. syndrome. And then that led to an underactive thyroid. And mm-hmm. way back when I was about mm, 20, when I got diagnosed with that, the doctors said to me, you're completely infertile right now because you're not ovulating because I wasn't getting my period because my both ovaries were so saturated with cysts. Mm, and um, at tw- at the ripe age of 20, you know, when your parents take you to the top specialist, mm-hmm. you're so green with life and trusting your own intuition and knowing the true options out there. You're like, well, they're the expert. They know everything. Right. I must be infertile. Yeah. So I took that story on. And for the rest of my life, kind of played that out. And But did you really think you were infertile or was there some deep, deep down inside you where you're like, meh, not sure? Well, I wasn't, ha- I wasn't ovulating. So well, I was infertile because I wasn't ovulating at, mm. at that point. And, but 
the the interesting journey was they they said the only um, prescribed course we can give you is the ready for it a very uncommon solution called the contraceptive pill. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's my next question. Yeah, so they put me on the pill, and I said, "Wait a second, so you're telling me you don't know where this comes from?" And they're like, "We're not sure." It could be diet related. It could be um, you've inherited it, but it's a bit of a mystery as to where this hormonal imbalance comes from. Mm. Um, but the only solution is to take a pill. And I, I went, okay, well, I'm so desperate because it was affecting my skin mm-hmm. and was creating this insecure experience for me throughout life. And um, I, I just felt so desperate to have some freedom around my skin issues that I was like, just give me anything. I just, yeah. just give me, I knew that I was taking a Band-Aid, but I'm like, it's better than feeling crippled in life. Mm-hmm. So I took the pill, cleared up my skin and gave me a fake period. Mm-hmm. And I was on it for about four years. And then I started getting into a serious relationship and. Um, he actually encouraged me to look at the idea of coming off the pill so I could be fertile one day and think about having a family. And so I, I said, yeah, this, this is the time. The time is now. I'm a little bit more experienced in life and aware of the fact there are endless possibilities out there. So coming off the pill, I was desperate to look at alternative options that could help balance out my hormones, could start preparing me to have a fertile ground to create a baby one day. So that that dove me deep into acupuncture, Chinese herbs, the emotional, physical relationship through Louise Hay books. Mm-hmm. Then that dove me into kundalini yoga and the science of the mind and the body and the spiritual component of um, letting go of what doesn't belong to you and my own um, capability of manifesting things Mm -hmm. from visualization and mantra and the list goes on. So I deep dove into this alternative world and then I, oh, and up until this point, I'd also been diagnosed with underactive thyroid that they didn't connect to polycystic ovaries, but now I know is completely connected. So mm-hmm. I was on a thyroid, um, an underactive mm-hmm. thyroid, natural thyroid remedy, thyroid, And so I basically, when I came off the pill, it probably took me about a year or two to start just cleansing my system mm. and detoxing and stripping through the layers. And then I got diagnosed with the thyroid, underactive thyroid. When I went on the medication, that then helped me have periods. Mm-hmm. Things started to connect naturally and my skin started to clear up naturally. But I was still under the impression that I wasn't fertile. Mm-hmm. Even though I was having a period that experience with the doctor telling me you will never be able Mm -hmm. to have babies um, Mm -hmm. really kind of traumatized me and locked in there as a reality. And so I was never careful having sex in long-term relationships. And I've been in a long-term relationship on, on this thyroid medication for about three years had never been pregnant before in my life and was extremely sexually active with this partner. And so I'm like, oh, for sure I'm not, I'm not mm-hmm. fertile still. Mm-hmm. Then I moved to America, met my husband, 
well, then was just uh, a, a boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And then we started dating. And <laughs> this is where Magical Valentine comes in. Mm. And we had just gotten engaged. We'd probably been engaged for about six weeks. And I remember about a week after we got engaged, we went to the Getty Museum here in Los Angeles and they have that beautiful big wishing well. And my husband got out a quarter and he flicked it in and he'd said a little prayer. And there's this running joke in the family where anything he wishes for comes true. Like he's a little golden boy. And I looked at him and I said, what did you wish for? (laughs) And he's like, just a healthy baby boy. I'm like, what? You can't just put that out there without discussing it with me. What are you crazy? Did you put a time frame on it? And he's like, no, just whenever he's ready. I'm like, oh my gosh, I, that was selfish. I'm not ready for this. Like, I'm like, great, it's going to happen. Yeah. So I kind of put that out of Can my mind. You, were you not at all excited about the thought of like actually having a baby after being so thinking that you couldn't for so long? Why were you like more excited at the thought? Um, uh, conditioning from my lineage and my own upbringing, so many things. Because I never thought it was an option, I never really indulged in the idea of being pregnant. I never associated my identity with the mother. And so my whole life had been weaving this identity of being very independent, autonomous, free-spirited, and kind of, you know, not the mother, more so the maiden. So I hadn't really entertained that idea to get in touch with it enough to yearn for it or want it. And I just thought to myself, whatever, that'll happen later on in my life. I'm having too much fun just being a wild Leo in the world. Mm -hmm. And when my um, fiance came along, (laughs) I also was running programs that I inherited from my own parents that to be very cautious about marriage and that marriage equaled a death sentence Mm -hmm. and a jail sentence and that it would end in disaster and that I couldn't trust men and that having children means your life is over and it ruins your relationship and X, Y, Z. So Mm -hmm. even though I got engaged and I accepted that engagement in a moment where I was so in my heart and in my truth and knowing that this person was medicine for me and this person, I could co-create a whole new, you know, paradigm of of life and relationship and motherhood with, I still had that program subconsciously hovering over me, which didn't, it it didn't allow me to get lit up about the Mm -hmm. idea of marriage and motherhood. you come from divorced parents? Oh yeah. Yeah, me too. Yeah, not just that the background of that. <laughs> us yeah, <three. laughs> us many. I'm yeah, sure there's many out there that's like raising yeah. their hand right now. Exactly. So, yeah. So, anyway, long story short, Carrie made the wish. I kind of put it out of my head. And then one night, probably about a month after that, we were on our way to a friend's birthday at this little Korean restaurant. We were half an hour early. He's like, well, we could go sit at the dingy bar at the Korean place and have a Korean beer, or we could find a back alleyway and just, you know, have some sex for a little bit and then go to dinner. I'm like, uh, beer, sex, all right, let's just go find a back alleyway. Why not? We just got in a Prius and I'm like, all right, oh God, well, we're going to christen it. the Prius. And so, of course, we, we found this cute little street. 
<laughs> it's pretty funny listening to this. And then when the moment of climax came, I'm like, wait a second, this is my brand new Prius. What are you doing? You're not going to spoof on my seats. What are you, you going to do? And he's like, well, this is oh one time. And I'm like, oh, geez. I'm like, oh, I guess if it's like once in a blue moon, it's going to be fine. I'm infertile anyway. Right? Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> and then of course, little Valentine, Aww. who had probably already chosen us, perked yep. up his little he was waiting ears. Oh yeah, he was waiting. Shot right in there, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that was it. So I love that. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. Awesome. Poor Valentine is going to grow up knowing exactly how he was conceived and that it happened in a, ba- a back air alley in Koreatown. I think so, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, you're going to have to prepare I him was that. considering giving him the middle name Prius, but I'm like, eh, he'll have to explain it for the rest of his life. It's going to be like a, a hex over him. But that led... It. So oh. after having Valentine so easily, I was faced with the concept that I have to let go of that story mm-hmm. and I have to rewrite my story. I'm healed. I'm fertile. I'm a mother. There was so much activation that I was pushed into. Thank God that helped me just eradicate old stories that didn't mm-hmm. serve me. And I had to intentionally rebuild my reality around those major life aspects I was heading into. And then after Valentine came so easily, I just, I came off my armor thyroid medication when I was mm-hmm. pregnant because I was feeling so good, way better than when I wasn't pregnant. Mm-hmm. Easiest pregnancy on earth, never got sick, had more energy, wow. bit of an enigma over here. Yeah. And then what, I never went back on my medication. And funnily enough, after my pregnancy, my whole system seemed to be reset. Mm-hmm. And so once I came off, I thought, okay, cool. I'm fertile. This is going to be great. When we feel like another baby in a few years time, it's going to be easy. I think for a second, even think about the concept of mm-hmm. um, having troubles conceiving. And then about three years later, we, we thought, okay, cool. Let's like have another baby. Let's see how this goes. And then that opened up the can of worms of I had a miscarriage, which was really interesting because I had never even really thought about miscarriages before or what they were or why. And so I instantly went into guilt and shame Mm. and not like thinking there was something wrong with me and not knowing what was happening. And then the doctors just said, oh, it's just very, it's very normal. It's an XY Mm -hmm. chromosome. It's fine. Everyone goes through it. Got pregnant again, probably about two months later. And that turned out to be an ectopic pregnancy Mm. in my left fallopian tube fat. I went on chemo for that because it was small enough. It was only six weeks long. So it was small enough to actually shrink without doing surgery. So I'm like, I'm definitely going to do chemo rather than invasive surgery. Wow. And then that ruptured. And so I was internally bleeding two quart sizes of blood in my abdomen and got rushed off to emergency surgery at midnight one night. And then they Mm. operated on me and had to remove a tube. It was so busted open, they couldn't salvage it. And then that was like a major, like, wow, Mm. I'm not invincible. And Mm. I'm so, anything could happen Mm. in this world. And where is the blessing in this? And what is this? Where's the opportunity for growth and healing within this insane surprise? And um, that was connected to so much that needed to come to the surface. Mm. And um, I'm quite 
good at translating breakdowns as breakthroughs. And so that was a really good. Mm -hmm. I love that. I just want to say from observing you during that time that you really, she really did a great job of, of, taking the bad and turning it into good and not mm-hmm. letting that hinder her and still having hope and not not getting depressed, but just really taking this as like, you know, where's the call to action here? Like, how can I be healthier, better, you know, from this experience? So that was really amazing to witness. That's beautiful. Wow. I and think when we, was this like timeline wise? Last year. Mm-hmm. So that was last year. And I knew that there was an element of divine orchestration in that bizarre happening because the timing of it was something else in my relationship that was a major reveal needed, like all happened within a week of each other. And all of it was pushing me towards getting into that, that lower level of releasing and healing and letting go and trusting and opening up and just resetting my whole perspective around love and men and trust. And it was just God, it's such a journey, all of it. It's yeah. It's just never it was ending. insane. It's all connected. Yeah. All, all of these strange happenings yeah. are connected totally. and nudging us towards something. It's all spiritual work. I mean, there's nothing yeah. bigger than going into motherhood in mm-hmm. any realms. Mm-hmm. And womanhood, really. I mean, it's a very interesting time to be a woman. Oh, but it like sure literally is. every new chapter, new kind of developmental growth in our kids. It's like all unwrap, you know, unpeeling, like stripping away the layers for so many more lessons. It's just wild. Motherhood is like the ultimate activation on earth, what it brings up and forces us to face within ourselves for the sake of our our children's yeah. health and evolution. Yeah. It's, um, it's insane. But just to cut that story. Yeah. So I had the ectopic And then about a year, I gave myself six months to recover from that. And then we started having, um, started trying to to conceive again, had a second miscarriage. So now it's been miscarriage, ectopic miscarriage. And I went to my GP and I'm like, there is something that is out of balance Mm, in my system. mm -hmm. Something is blocked. And I didn't use the words my lower chakra because I didn't think she'd understand what I was talking Mm. about. But I just knew intrinsically that something was off Mm -hmm. and that this wasn't just a fluke. She's like, oh, we don't consider looking, investigating into tests and all of that until your third consecutive miscarriage. Mm. And I'm like, but I've had three lost pregnancies in a row. She's Mm -hmm. like, yeah, but there's an ectopic in between. So technically you've only had Mm. two miscarriages. I'm like, this is insane. Mm. All right. See you later. Yeah. I'm going on my own path once again. And so I went seeking for answers and found this incredible doctor who found that I had um, low progesterone. Mm-hmm. And when I really sat with my intuition, I knew that I had never allowed myself to recover from my first birth mm-hmm. and that I was depleted mm-hmm. on so many levels, mm-hmm. hormonally, physically, emotionally. I was depleted. I breastfed for over two years. Mm-hmm. I had a very intense, natural, unmedicated birth, which was quite traumatizing mm-hmm. for my nervous system. Went really fast, right? It was really fast and I wasn't anticipating the level of sensation yeah, he helped me get back on track with getting balanced. And then I got pregnant. How many months after wow. that? I would say about eight months after working with him on supplementing and slowing down and 
doing all the right things and actually targeting specific viruses, which he believes is mm. at the foundation of my imbalance. Go ahead. Tell him what it what, <laughs> yeah, Tell us about that. <laughs> EBV, Epstein-Barr mm-hmm. virus, which mm-hmm. if anyone's into the medical medium, yep. you'll know all about. Yep. The, the celery the juice trend is real right now. Yep. And yeah, it's I resonated with that because mm-hmm. EBV can nest and can show up when you're very young and you get glandular mm-hmm. fever or mono, you guys call mm-hmm. it in the States. And it can nest in your ovaries and and manifest as polycystic ovaries. Mm. So tick that box. Yeah. And then as a, the as the virus starts to breed and grow, it can move up to your thyroid and manifest as thyroid mm. issues. So tick that box. Yeah. <laughs> and then it also shows up as hormone imbalances, low libido, low mm. energy, no appetite. It just depression, it can show up as so many things Mm. that we think, oh, I'm just depressed. I'll Mm -hmm. just take antidepressants or Mm -hmm. I'm just lethargic. But we never think about the base root of what is causing a myriad of physical illnesses. So once I started on his protocol and started to intentionally eradicate the virus, um, we effortlessly got pregnant. Of course, I actually said, do not get me pregnant. I want to finish my heavy metal detox. Mm-hmm. I want to go on this detox. Famous blah, blah, blah. last words. Yeah, famous, famous last, last words. words. It's my karma. Mm-hmm. And then there was one time around New Year's Eve. Tell us the conception story. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> it, it wasn't as exciting and eventful. Sorry. And I said to him, I do not want to get pregnant right now. Like, let's mm-hmm. be careful. And of course it was the, he was like, oh, it's just one time. And I'm like, oh, fine. Just this one time. And that was the one time. Mm-hmm. And so here I am. That's my story. Well, they were the, the little soul was ready again. I have a feeling it's the same soul. Mm-hmm. I it believe that. It feels like it's the same creature that's mm-hmm. just waiting for the right moment to come in. And I almost feel like this this baby spirit was asking me to sort my stuff out before mm-hmm. it was ready to come in. And sh- and she, he, who whoever this creature is, we're hoping for a she, mm-hmm. just putting that mm-hmm. out there. Um really was the only way for me to be pushed towards getting down to some root healing, like root issues that I need to heal. Mm, I love that, that you actually took heed and, you know, followed that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's my story. And I have this theory that, um, you know, it's like like vibrations uh, attract each other, mm-hmm. right? So if you have this super high vibrational spirit baby that's wanting to come into your body, but and sometimes we have to clear our field or mm-hmm. raise our vibration in order to be a match for that baby to come in. So great job with that, Amber. 100%. I so agree with all of that. You know, it's funny because when I, before I conceived Goldie, I had this little girl spirit around me for a couple of years and I didn't want another baby. So I was kind of confused by that. Oh, they don't care what you want. Yeah. Timing wise, <laughs> gender wise, whatever. They're like, this is what I want. It is happening. Mm. Oh, but Goldie so, is so delicious. Oh my I mean, gosh. I just adore her so Ugh. much. I mean, thank God. You know, thank spirit she came in. But it was so interesting because I, you know, for a couple of years, I was like, maybe she's just my guide or maybe she's from a past life or a future life, but she's just guiding me on this life, you know? But same kind of thing. It was like, there was this one just free moment and she was like, coming in hot. <laughs> <laughs> So let's segue into second kid because I think it's a really big topic. And, you know, the big transition 
is made unto mother. I mean, that's just massive on a soul level for each woman to figure out what that looks like for them. And I think we also are collectively in this new thing of doing things very differently than our parents, you know, all of us, no matter what our stories are. And these babies coming in are just like such angel babies teaching us so, so much. It's like, it just, it's quickening. It's like, we have to keep up to be kept up, you know? And so I think there's so much movement in that realm, but on a personal level, like how, I'll start with you, Jenna. How did you make the transition from one to two? Looking back, are there things you wish you would have done differently? What are you proud of? Like just starting that combo. I mean, for me, I'm sort of one who shoots from the hip a little mm-hmm. bit, even though I'm like all planets in Capricorn that you think I'd be more <laughs> of a planner, but I just sort of go from the gut. So I knew I wanted a second kid mm-hmm. and I didn't even think that much about it. Sadly, I was just like, let's go for this, mm-hmm. you know? And then when I got pregnant, which was pretty quick, I had extreme pregnancy symptoms with the Mm. second one. Like I had um, extreme nausea up until maybe up to like 30 weeks. And this was with a girl. This was a girl. Mm. Yeah. And before I had had a boy and I had had some nausea, but like I never actually threw up, Mm -hmm. you know, it's just sort of like a queasy feeling Mm -hmm. sometimes, but this would be like full on like morning sickness, if not more, where I would like wake up and um, I'd like throw up 12... 15 times with such force that it would like splash back into my face kind of thing. That's literally the worst. It's literally the worst. Like I was actually like, I don't know if I can survive this. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I can understand why people would have an abortion because they can't survive this. You know, it was like flew to the max Mm -hmm. for weeks and weeks and weeks. Mm -hmm. And I had another toddler and, um, he was very attached to me, very attached, um, so very difficult to even get a moment of not being touched or, and my mm. husband was working. So I was at home with the kid. I didn't have a nanny at that time. Mm. It was a real struggle. It was like every moment I was just surviving um, and making it through the day. And so because I was in survival mode, I did not get to have the pregnancy that I wanted, which was like me going to yoga and and like, you know, eating super healthy. And that's not at all what it looked like because it was just a struggle to survive mm-hmm. in every moment. And because that was taking my full bandwidth just to survive, I did not get the opportunity to design my experience in a way that would be optimal for me. It was just sort of, I was just holding on to a speeding train and it was going. Mm. And so when it comes, so I had a lot of like ideas of how I wanted my postpartum experience to go where it didn't go the first time. The first time I, again, I shot from the hip. I went right into it. I was like, I don't think I, um, I don't even think I need help. I was like, Mm -hmm. I got this, you know? boy, was I wrong. (laughs) I did have, I did end up being able Mm -hmm. to survive it, but it was without support and it was out without really emotional support. Cause my husband at that time, he's getting better, but at that time he was very unable to be emotionally supportive. Mm -hmm. The only thing he could really do was financially support me. So Mm -hmm. I had to do everything and I wanted it to go better the second time around. But once I got pregnant and I was on that roller coaster, it was like, it just was all happening. And I didn't get to, I wanted, for example, to do hypnobirthing. I maybe did did the CD a couple of times, but I didn't even get a chance to really like, because with hypnobirthing, you need to do it all the time. You really need to train yourself for it. Yeah, Yeah. for sure. Because if you're not, then, you know, when you're in labor, it's just all going to go out the window. So I didn't even get a chance to do all that. Then when I had my, when I had my baby, 
I had her at home, um, but she was presenting in an awkward position. Both of my kids came in at awkward positions, Mm. which is not helpful when you're having a natural birth. (laughs) Um, Not at all. No. And so she was coming in sunny side up, but we Mm. didn't know it at the time. And I guess what I was experiencing was back labor, but mm-hmm. I didn't even know that at the mm-hmm. time. But it was a very intense birth. Wow. Uh, and then at the very end, her heart rate went down. Mm-hmm. And so they had to um, give me an episiotomy. Mm-hmm. And then they told me to push right after the episiotomy. They didn't even wait till the next contraction because it was her heart rate was going down. And my midwives, I could tell, were all scared. Like they were all like, you got to get this baby out now. And like looking at me with fear wow. in their eyes. And in the meantime, my husband had called, they had told him to call an ambulance. So clearly they thought something was really wrong. And um, when they cut me, I just pushed her out. She came out right away. She was totally fine, but I tore mm. all the way like to my butthole. Oh, Sorry to be graphic. Poor thing. Um, apparently that's called a fourth degree tear. Yeah. In, in so school, gnarly. they told me, or like in childbirth classes, they were like, oh yeah, you could get a, up to a third degree tear. They didn't even tell me that a fourth degree <sighs> tear existed. Wow. So when they told me I had a fourth degree tear, I was like, I just took it to a new level of like tears, you know? Wow. But because of that, in my postpartum period, I couldn't do much, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know? I had to pretty much just sit on a donut pillow and I couldn't be mobile. I Mm -hmm. couldn't exercise. I couldn't do anything. So once again, I felt like because of my physical situation, I was unable to do much of anything and it was all kind of happening to me. Mm -hmm. And I was just trying to, I was just surviving it. Yeah. Especially with a toddler. I mean, that's a whole other yeah. sphere that I don't even understand how yeah. women do that. Toddler so and no nanny. And I was... Toddler with no help. Yeah. No nanny, no yeah. parents. That's no, I mean, you had parents probably a little bit, but... But they were not necessarily helpful. Yeah. That's, and... Yeah, that's so much. Um, it's too much. Yeah. And I, mean, I was also breastfeeding because I breast I breastfed my first until he was four. And this was all going down when he was around three. So I breastfed wow. my, my whole pregnancy. I somehow managed to continue to wow. breastfeed through that pregnancy. And then I tandem nursed for a year after that. So on top of all of that, I was, so basically I just, my postpartum looked like me sitting in a chair on a donut pillow with two, with one oh baby on each boob. So glam. <laughs> oh my God. Oh yeah. And then how would you do that? Because milk production was like, well, booming, I would assume. Yeah. Well, milk production was, was good. I never had a problem with producing obviously. Um, but I also didn't have a problem with producing too much because I was just always had a kid on my boob, like wow. at all times. You know, so, and that was it. It was like me watching reality TV shows, like in a chair on a donut pillow. Nursing. Yeah. So I just have a logistical question about this because I can barely wrap my head around that you did all that. That's incredible. Did you like alternate boobs for the baby to make sure that she was getting, or like, was it just like free for all? Like, whoever's on what boob, it's fine. It's all going to work out. So I would definitely try to, to, nurse the baby first mm-hmm. on a boob. Mm-hmm. And then I'd let the toddler come in and take what was left. Gotcha. Yeah. But I would always, I remember like, you know, feeling my boobs and being like, hey, which one's full, yeah, totally. you know, and then just putting them on the full one. I Can I just ask, I'm interested, what was the incentive for breastfeeding Milo up until he was four? Because he's clearly on solids by that point. So <laughs> what... No. He wasn't, no. He wasn't, he wasn't No, old. he didn't maybe start solids until... 
yeah, he might've been around three or four, but this kid, I don't know. Every kid is different and every single soul is an individual. Mm -hmm. And Milo and I, we have our soul history and our soul contract, but he, um, not a big fan of food. Mm. Not, um, I mean, and I mean like really not like he would, I would put food on his plate and he would like maintain eye contact with me, pick up the food, smash it in his hand, throw it on the ground. Wow. And he was like, he like stared me down and he wouldn't eat anything healthy. Like, Mm -hmm. and especially, you know, because Amber and I are so into food as medicine and Mm -hmm. we're so like into that, that of course, again, I had a fantasy of like, oh, I'm going to have a cute little Mm -hmm. mini me that's going to be like an accessory, cause me no problems and eat all the green stuff that I put in front of them. Yeah. Well, totally wrong (laughs) about that. (laughs) And um, he wouldn't eat anything Mm -hmm. healthy. So I didn't want to give him bad food. So, and I just kept breastfeeding, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Makes sense. Got to get medicine from somewhere. There we go. So he was getting good food through you. Mm-hmm. He's just so attached to, to the boob. And mm-hmm. even now he's five and a half and he will pretend to be a baby. He'll pretend to nurse. Right now he's really into pretending to be baby Jesus. <laughs> and <laughs> um, that's still him. Wow. Valentine is also talking about yesterday we jumped in our hot tub and we had a little family nudie hot tub mm. situation going on. And he was just looking at my boobs, which were getting bigger with the pregnancy. And he looked at them and he's like, milk? And he's, <laughs> he's like, he's five in a couple of months. And I'm like, yes, but not for you. <laughs> but baby's like, just a little bit. I'm like, well, I mean, I guess you could try it, but I don't really want to open that can of worms. Yeah. He would be straight on there in a flash if he could. So, but I kind of remember being a baby and being nuzzled up against my mum's boobs. And yeah, I do. I remember. Um, probably till I was about, I don't know, one and a half, two. But I have, I have very clear memories and visceral memories really about being a little little baby in my crib and my mom breastfeeding me. And they're just being this like the smells mm. and the warmth and the comfort that comes with being that close to your mother's skin mm-hmm. and that closely held and having that kind of sweet nectar. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I get it. Mm-hmm. It is very sweet. So comforting. I, totally. I asked Milo what it tasted like the other mm-hmm. day and he said it, it tastes like straw- sweet strawberries. Oh, so, so cute. That in there. It's so cute. Yeah, every, everyone's journey is just so different. It's really, really interesting. Mm-hmm. And what you can handle as a mom too. I think that's something, you know, it's always weighing like what's best for your kid and what's best for you. Mm-hmm. Because also having a completely strung out mom breastfeeding that's not consciously able to be there really fully, like that's something to consider too. And for moms, you know, a lot of moms, like they can't do it and be a happy, well-rounded person. Totally. And I was not a happy, well-rounded person, you know, and I'm not necessarily recommending this to anyone. I'm just um, stating this as my story, but totally. um, I was very depleted. Mm-hmm. And I remember even after the first kid, after one year feeling extremely depleted, going to an acupuncturist and herbalist and then being like, feeling my pulses and being like, uh... I don't feel any pulses, you know? And then being like, you need to take deer placenta. Mm -hmm. And then thinking for the second kid, I'm going to freeze my own placenta because I'm going to take a deer's placenta. I'd rather take mine. Right. And then I got the placenta pills and I just, I I only took a couple. I I still was like- I love them so much. Yeah. Really do still have them? I still have them. You can take them. You think so? Yeah. It's been two years. You can you can save them. People save them for menopause. I see McLean looking at you going, I'll take them. I'll take that. You still have yours? Really? Smacking my vein right now. Like it was so emotional for me 
to have my last two. Like I just had them in the fridge because I'm just like, I take them really quickly, but they, they really work for me. And how was your like second compared to first? I don't know if you want to get into that. I mean, I've shared that some on the podcast, but it really was just so night and day of not doing the 40 days at all with my first. I didn't even know about it. And then, you know, driving two days later, my husband was at work the next day. I had a very traumatic transfer from birth center to hospital birth, which ended up taking me a couple of years to really get over. Uh, I didn't sleep for like three years, but I was, you know, on the one hand, I was really happy. I adored her. Breastfeeding was good. You know, sleeping was pretty... Well, I didn't, I didn't think she slept, you know? And that, you know, that's always a thing for moms to look at too, is like, if your baby is sleeping and you can't sleep, that's a real red flag. And I had no Been idea. There. Yeah. And I had no idea about like hypervigilance and postpartum anxiety. And like, it's all wrapped up into that. And so you felt like you couldn't sleep because you were just like needed to be watching her yeah. kind of thing. Yeah. I, I totally feel yeah. that too. I Wait, still is this with the second baby? No, first, first one. Oh, first. Yeah, first. Yeah, I was about to say yeah. like second one, usually you're so much more relaxed second and you just have whole... too much going on to even worry about them. Yeah. And second one. So um, we also didn't have this wall in our bedroom. It was a pony wall. So I would just obsessively think of dropping her over. You know, it was so horrible. And then I couldn't sleep. You know, I was just caught in that fight or flight constantly. And I have had that too. It's so gnarly. I mean, it's very, very common. And it's just, you have to do so much work to kind of figure out what the tools are for you personally to help you get out of that loop. Mm -hmm. But the second, you know, I wasn't planning on, on having her really. I mean, it was kind of in my my radar a little bit, but I had said to my husband, if we do this, because he really wanted a second one, I said, like, just prepare to throw money at me because that's what it's going to be. Like, no questions. I'm getting the care I want. I don't care if the midwife's five grand. Like, we're doing this how I, I need to have it this time. And he was totally on board with that, which is like such a huge blessing. And I feel very privileged that I could do that. But I just set the 40 days up for myself. And I didn't, since I am a postpartum doula, I didn't personally want uh, someone here every day. I wanted to just be with her quietly. I'm such an introvert. The My oldest Jemima was at school. So my 40 days really looked like my husband wasn't so much a part of it, which makes me on the one hand really sad. But on the other hand, he would take her to school at eight, go have his work days. Because he again went to work the next day because that's just his business. Um, but he would have all his meetings and then pick her up at 2.30 and then they would have play dates and go to the park and have special time. And so he really did that for my 40 days. But it was part of my healing because I knew my oldest was getting so taken care of and getting that special time. So important. So important. And it really helped her phase into a family of four. And so anyway, I would kind of prep my postpartum and then just have someone come in every couple of days and I'd do the Abhyanga. I did hire a friend to do the Ayurvedic food, like really specifically the stuff I wanted. She would come every couple of days and just drop food. Oh my God, so good. So Wait, good. is that a service? Is that her service or is yeah. she just a friend that she, would make she, it up yeah, for you? Yeah, she does that too. And oh, I do that for my business. business too. Yeah. yeah, got it. I mean, there's so many, yeah, food is- Need such, her number or yeah, your number, yeah. by the way. Yeah. For sure. <laughs> It's such an important part of it, you know, mm-hmm. the food aspect. And, and the hot oil massages. Yes. Ooh, Nelly. Really good. And just some days I I'm wouldn't jealous, even, guys. Sign I know. Up. You're going to have to have a third I baby know. to get I this know. treatment. Lord, I have like PTSD. I can't do it. <laughs> well, you know, there is an interesting aspect of doing your 40 days wherever you are in your journey. Mm. So we could talk about that mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. 
Um, because why miss out on something just because it's not in the timeline that you really love that in? That's that's my concept with a honeymoon mm-hmm. and a push present. Yeah. <laughs> and I said to and I ever actually never really got a proper wedding either. You're like still waiting. It was all shotgun. <laughs> and so I'm like, by the way, it's never too late. We can mm-hmm. always have a honeymoon whenever we want. Like yeah. that's I, I'm still holding 100%. that card up my sleeve. Yeah. Don't don't think I've forgotten about that. And nor should it be forgotten, you know? Mm-hmm. There's gonna be the perfect time for you guys to go away, mm-hmm. the two of you. But yeah, the healing with the second was just so easy. I was almost 40. It was delightful. I mean, I look back at my 40 days and I miss it. And also giving that special time for this new soul coming in because yes, it's divine order. They're coming in as the second baby, but they still deserve when you can that energy, you know, and it doesn't always work out that way. So again, like no shame, no guilt, Mm -hmm. but it's like, it was, it was just such a gift I felt for myself that I was able to get that time. Mm-hmm. And was your birth half the, the time of your first? Is that a true... Yeah, you know, it's you so interesting. So with both kids, I'm like, she's coming early. And everyone's like, just don't attach to that. I'm like, yeah, yeah, I know, but she's coming early. The, with Jemima, she came a week after due date. And then Goldie Wolf came the day before due date, which was Labor Day. That was uh-huh. her due date. She, it was funny because my midwife, Davy Kalsa, who I adore, she said, once I started my early labor, she's like, if this is a long early labor, you know, that does happen to some second time moms, but just know when it turns, it's going to be fast. So I was in early labor for about 20 hours, which was so weird because I was like, baby's just going to fly out. Like it's going to be so fast. And it really wasn't. So every birth is just so different because actually my first labor with Jemima, I went to 10 centimeters by four hours which is very fast for a first. That and then we is. ended up transferring because of the meconium when they broke my water. But this time, it was just a slow, slow process. And about 5 a.m. on a Saturday morning, I woke up and I was like, oh, something's happening. And then Jemima actually ran in our room and she's like, baby's coming today. Like she was so- Psychic yeah, baby. That happens so, so often. Up. I know. And she, I feel like really called her sister in, uh-huh. like more than me. Oh, I can't wait to see how that plays out. It's insane. It's so cool to watch. Why did you think you didn't want a second? I'm just curious. Um, trauma over the first. I also am the one. I'm a one and only mm. from my parents' union. I have half brother, but um, I got to do so much. I basically got all I wanted, you know? Mm. And not in like a spoiled bratty way, but just like there's so much more opportunity. My mm. parents were also divorced. So my mom and I would like go away for the summers and mm. we'd be able to like stay with her friends on a couch. Like it's just... Things are much more doable when you have one. Mm-hmm. It just is. You can like pick up and go a lot easier. Mm-hmm. And I loved being one. So I just, my whole life, I was like, I want one girl. That's mm-hmm. all I want. And I feel like I got that with Jemima. Like she was completely my fairy spirit, you know, ride or die. And I just felt complete. You know, I really did feel complete. I didn't feel like there was a missing aspect. How is um, that accepting the fact that you had a number two coming on? It's still shocking. Like sometimes I'm just like, I have a second kid. That's crazy. And she's 20 months now, but it's still kind of shocking because we were a trio for almost six years. So, but it really, she brings a different energy, but it was so much part of our growth as a family. You know, it's expanded us. And yet there are some days or not even days, but just some hours or moments where I feel like, whoa, this is really full. Like this is really full on. And it's obviously hard if like Jemima's having a hard day with it. And it's like, I wish, you know, I miss times when it was just the three of us. But we, when we hear that, we really give her that extra love and energy. And we're 
able to have help. And we've really set it up where like today is a Wednesday. And so my husband will pick her up at school and take her back to the office. And so they'll have like four or five hours to go to dinner. She'll do her homework. She'll come home. They do a date on the weekends. I do a date with her on the weekends. Then we have our family time. So like we we kind of structure it where she's getting that alone time as well with us. Which is so important because yeah. my son Valentine was also so attached to me mm-hmm. and I didn't quite trust anyone to be as capable as I am with him. He just, he he missed out on having that real closeness with his dad. And mm-hmm. only now when I have so much going on and I say to Carrie, you have, I need a weekend just to catch up on everything from the week and yeah. to make a class or whatever it may be. Mm-hmm. And they go away for a boys camping trip. They come back both so enriched with this mm. brotherhood and this closeness. And it's so good for both of them. It's so beautiful. Really good. And it really, that's such a good point because I think it's so easy to do that early years of your kid's life because they do need us. They do want us so much, but you almost have to like make yourself relinquish that control mm-hmm. and know, okay, like maybe they're not going to eat as I would want them to eat today or like... <laughs> that's for sure. Good yeah. to let go of that. Yeah, it's a big one. And it's, uh-huh. you know, from that to vaccines to like diapering differently, like there's so many things. Oh, down to language, yeah. down to bedtime, yeah. just screen time. Screen mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. I mean, and... But that love yeah. that you get and closeness and presence with the male energy yeah, so in the family unit or the female energy is it's so important to have that balance. And it's mm-hmm. doing so much more for them than we realize. Uh, them 100%. Creating yeah. this concept of what the masculine is. Yeah. And I mean, Carrie can feed him in ways which I can never feed him yeah. soul-wise. Yeah. No. Yeah. And just for, for them, it's not even that good to only have your mother all the time because then yeah. it's like you're not going to be able to function in the yeah. world without her, your mother. Totally. And I, I think for our family, we also really, it's so effective to have alone time with the kids. Like mm-hmm. you were saying, you have a date with, you each have a date with her on the weekends. I feel like that's so great because I've noticed as a family of four, when we're all together or when it's one parent with both kids, a lot of the times it'll be the kids vying for the attention of mm-hmm. the parent. And they that could cause like uh, rivalries or just like this competitive sort of nature between them. Mm-hmm. And I find when we're giving them that lo- alone time, it's really great. And it's like each combination of parent and kid in that foursome, it's yeah. like, it's necessary and strong, like bonding, mm-hmm. you know? So I, I noticed it also tops them up. They're less needy and less Mm -hmm. emotional and less trying to get in between the two parents when they feel fed on that like solo Mm one-to-one level. And also I think just segueing into that, it's so important them seeing you as a couple, as a strong unit, you know, because that gives them such a strong foundation too. That is everything. That was such a realization for me. When, When I found out I was pregnant with Valentine the first time around, I had this burning freight train coming towards me, desire and need to clear out any emotional, physical, spiritual blockages around my own union Mm. and my own health and my own concept on marriage and motherhood and all of that kind of stuff. And I feel, I just knew on some deep level that how I show up is going to be the most, the the biggest blessing for Valentine because obviously they can energetically feel 
what the dynamic is between yeah. the mother and the father. And mm-hmm. from that, they're absorbing what the reality is of what's a woman like, what's a man like, what does a relationship look like? Yeah. And it really took some um, conscious effort to say, we are we're putting our relationship high up there on the Mm -hmm. priority list. That can't go to the wayside just because a kid's in the picture now. Can't be all about the kid. We still have to maintain our own flow and health and closeness in our relationship, not just for each other, but we're setting the tone of what that looks like in the world for them. Totally. And, you know, just that energy in the house of like when you walk by your partner and you like touch their shoulder or touch their back, you know, those little things that just keep you in love with each other. And, you know, the kids are seeing that and it just feels like these benign things, but they're actually seeing those interactions. Totally. And that was something, you know, Stan Tatkin, who I adore, the therapist, you know, he, that's one of his biggest things. It's like you as partnership have to be at the top of the pyramid. And mm-hmm. we really change. Like when David walks in the front door from work, I'm the first one he kisses. So even if all the girls are rushing him, like I'm the queen. So he has yes, to, you are. Yeah. So he has to <laughs> hug me. We have to connect our hearts. We have to like realign with each other's energy and they see that. And like Goldie, of course, like weasels in between us, which is fine. And, but like that has to happen first and then we'll pick her up, you know? Mm-hmm. I love that. And I was just going to say that we have a little tradition in our family similar that at bedtime, we all sit in a circle. We call it circle time. And we like all hold hands or the, the kids mm-hmm. might sit on our laps. And one of the things we pray for together as a family is that keep our family strong, mm-hmm. you know, like that. keep our family together, keep our family strong and strengthen these bonds. And we do that every single night. So they know that they have that security. Oh, I love that. I want to start doing that. That's beautiful. We do a little gratitude circle at dinner time, which is similar as well. Creating a little circle and saying what you're grateful for. But on the note of it's important for the kids to see the mother and and husband, mom and dad being connected and close and in love and affectionate, Valentine has really thrown a spanner in the works because since a little baby, it's been a very intense trigger for him to see me affectionate with my Mm. husband. There is some, he Mm. said the weirdest thing the other day. I think he was channeling (laughs) into his past lives. And yeah, he, I think he seems to think that we were married in a past life. And it makes sense. He he has this adversity to my husband Mm. for since he was born, he wouldn't want him to hold him, wouldn't want to be with him. He would want to only be with me. And not only that, when he saw Carrie reach over and touch my hand when we're driving or try snuggle me, he would be like a mad beast with rabies and jump in between us. He even slapped Carrie across the (laughs) face one time. Because Carrie was trying to cuddle me. He went, no, and slapped him. But it would really, it was very interesting That's seeing so that. cheated on Valentine as your husband in a past <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. Like soul connection. You know. It's so interesting. Yeah, it's really interesting. And, and obviously it's good for them. It, it should be no other way. It's good for them to feel safe in observing what love looks like and mm-hmm. how soft and close and safe it is to be in union. But there's also it can be an interesting dynamic if you have a possessive, jealous Mm -hmm. child that feels like that can be a threat to you as well. Yeah. But to still not curb the fact that you and your relationship should be at the top of that pyramid. And it's hard. And I'm not saying it's easy. Like it is a work in progress constantly and journey, you know, and it has to be authentic. So it's, 
you know, but I think if you hold that as your shared kind of value, but in the couple, then you don't allow things just to fester as much. Like things come up and you're able to process them more quickly. You have that like shared principle. Mm-hmm. But it's, it's, uh, it can cause issues though. Yeah. Especially with babies sleeping in the bed. Yeah. For the first couple of years, we were co co parenting. Yeah. I mean, we were um, yeah, co sleeping for the first, I would say, like two and a half, three years. I almost feel like the first two years, you kind of have to just let whatever happens happen. <laughs> Seriously, like however you can sleep, sleep and just know like, you know, if you can go to some therapy just to have like support in the trenches, great. But just like know like you're not making any like huge pronouncements or changes within relationship because there's just too much going on. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really think the first two years are postpartum, mm-hmm. minimum. Mm-hmm. And to be flexible um, in that time and not think, oh, it has to look this way. Exactly. I ha- my kid has to sleep in their bed. Yeah. And if they're not, I'm a failure or something yeah. like that. But just be like flexible. Exactly. I mean, I think however baby's sleeping and however mom's sleeping, like those are the two big, the big things. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of people can't go sleep because they're so anxious sleeping in a bed with their baby, they can't sleep. So that's not going to work for that mom, you know? So totally. it's just like, even when you... It's just always different. It's like you can want to co-sleep and believe it and think that's going to happen for years. And that's really not your journey with that baby Mm -hmm. and vice versa. And I was the vice versa. Like I did not think I was going to co-sleep. When my first midwife, like when I had my first kid was like, oh, like these are the rules for co-sleeping. I'm like, why are you telling me this? I have a bassinet (laughs) and it's cute and it's right next to my bed. Yeah, Like baby's going to be sleeping in that bassinet. Mm -hmm. He never slept in the bassinet. He just It's like a good diaper holder. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So many philosophies or like promises to yourself go out the window mm-hmm. in that, in, in motherhood in general. And I can imagine for the second one, it's no different. Yeah. And yeah, potluck, you never know yeah. who you're going to get. And I think it's really, really important to navigate your way through your conscious parenting plan dependent on who that individual is. Mm-hmm. Because I had ideas going in as well, but Valentine was not that individual. It didn't serve him the plan I had formulated. Mm-hmm. And I really had to drop into, it's a fine balance though, because it's not just about what plan will suit his needs and desires, but what plans will also suit my needs and desires yeah. and my husband's yeah. and relationships. And I think I was so anxious about not messing him up because I felt like I was kind of neglected mm-hmm. as a child that I I put my own needs and my relationship needs to the side for the first few years mm-hmm. to make sure that he, all of his needs were met. And looking back, that was a really bad idea. I felt apart. Mm-hmm. I remember going crazy, being sleep deprived mm-hmm. and completely out of my mind, swinging punches at mm-hmm. my husband because I was just yeah. breaking down because yeah. I had no sleep. I had no time to myself. The baby was just on me. Constantly. So I think this time around, I'm really excited to, of course, just suss out who they are as an individual and what their needs are, but have equally as important my needs mm-hmm. and my relationship and my my husband's needs at the same time. And obviously my my first child. Yeah. And it's a marathon. Now you know that, you know, it's not just like a short sprint motherhood. Mm-hmm. It's mm-hmm. like forever, yeah. right? And so just knowing that this baby also has that contract of knowing the family they're coming into. And you're such a different mom than you were with the first, you know, which is such a blessing. It's like, I just, I think the second baby can be such an opportunity to really 
more fully step into our, our lives as women and just not sweat the small stuff. You know, the stuff- We have to, right? Yeah, when I look back, I'm like, why go. was I worried about that? That's insane, mm-hmm. you know? You usually have so many balls in the air by the second one. Yeah. I can imagine that. And it's also like muscle memory. You've mm-hmm. done it before. You're less anxious. It's not first time mm-hmm. round. So yeah. you've had 10,000 yeah. hours of experience, which yeah. makes you an expert in the neural pathways. <laughs> yeah. CEO yeah. of the household. Yeah. I remember the biggest kind of like, aha moment for me was like, oh, she can actually just like cry so I can go to the bathroom. Like that can happen this time around, you know? And that's why diving, finding parent philosophies as well, Mm -hmm. like Rye, for example, to have as a lens through that can be so comforting because they teach you that crying is their way of talking Mm -hmm. and communicating. It's not necessarily there's something wrong. Right. They're talking to to you. Yeah. Yeah. And so... I think finding a philosophy that really resonates with you mm-hmm. and and your intuition and how you want to parent is a nice resource to go back to and say, actually, it's okay. This mm-hmm. is normal. Everything's fine. And yeah, it just helps navigate through the trenches as you call them. Yeah. And that does offer that nice framework because every baby is so different. Like Goldie Wolf, she will scream to the level where if that had been Jemima, Jemima would have been like really wounded. And so it took me a while to get used to that new scream and cry because I would just, my heart would stop every time. But literally it's because she can't like eat the toothpaste. You know, it's something trivial, but she just reacts in a very different way. So yeah, it's just, there's so much to learn always. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I'm excited for you. Thank you. I really am. Yeah, it's, it's been interesting. One thing I didn't mention was that because of the trauma I had around getting pregnant, once I finally did fall pregnant, I had this psychological barricade that prevented me from dropping in and feeling mm-hmm. connected mm-hmm. to the baby. So I'm halfway through now and only, to be honest, in the past couple of days have I been starting mm. to feel this softening around feeling them and connecting with them and being able to allow myself to start to visualize them even being in the world with mm-hmm. me or them being present with me now. Mm-hmm. And um, it's been an interesting journey to just try be gentle on myself and not force m- me to be a certain way and just to trust that that will naturally mm-hmm. move and mm-hmm. change into another phase. But um, it was interesting feeling like I didn't have a choice. Like I wanted to feel connected and indulge in being pregnant. Cause I first pregnancy, I love being pregnant. Every second I was in such awe of the miracle of life and feeling connected to this beautiful creature. And in this pregnancy, I couldn't, I literally couldn't feel that there was a, a human growing inside me. Mm-hmm. I was just completely oblivious to it. It was just like, you know, I was numb almost to it, which was interesting to try unravel that and get Mm -hmm. to the root of that and accept that and not be afraid of that. And um, yeah, finally it shifts and I'm starting to feel little kicks. And I think that helps. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's real. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And with that as well comes, once you open your heart to that, and you move past the trauma of anything could happen. I could lose a baby any minute. This doesn't mean it's safe to be attached. Mm-hmm. Once I start to kind of shift through that psychology and the fear of having to protect myself around it, the heart opens and I'm able to intuitively feel into who this creature 
maybe mm. presenting themselves mm-hmm. to be, which is so exciting. So exciting. To feel like you're getting this unique spirit from somewhere out there in the universe with their own unique like genetic coding mm-hmm. that they've chosen and that just the idea of discovering the little intricacies of this being mm-hmm. in every way is Oh my God, one of the most incredible adventures of life. Yeah. So exciting. I mean, oh, I just want so to add that it's it's really not until very recently. Like that's why nobody even knows Amber's pregnant. This is the most I've ever heard Amber even talk about like the second you. pregnancy because it's, you have not been able to feel that, that connection, mm-hmm. but um, I'm glad you feel it now. <laughs> and you know, in Kundalini, they say that the baby drops in around 16 weeks. So oh maybe. God. Yeah like the actual soul lands. But then like according to uh, the author of Spirit Babies, have you guys read that book? Mm, I haven't read it. Oh, it's one of my favorite books ever. It's so beautiful. It's an easy read too. But he believes that the spirit is actually going in between the worlds mm-hmm. until the actual birth. Mm-hmm. That's, that's sort of what I feel mm-hmm. just intuitively. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, anything else you guys want to add? I feel like we covered a lot. Good stuff. Uh, not really. I just, I'm, I'm in the headspace right now of thinking, you know, Jenna mentioned the question before we started recording, if you had to do things differently mm-hmm. the second time around, what would they be? And do you feel like you need to do things differently? And it's really been on my mind since I felt pregnant. Mm-hmm. And I, I definitely am focused on setting myself up with some systems that keep my sleep in place, mm-hmm. keep my health in place and replenishment and arm me with the tools I need to go into the war zone yeah. <laughs> of birth. Like yeah. that unmedicated birth is, it's something else. It it's, really it's is. It's the freight train of the universe yeah. rushing through you at full speed and there is no tapping out. And no. it was really, really intense for me. My, so Valentine's head was off the Richter scale as oh well. So, and I'm quite slight. And so wow. I think his head really caused like wow. um, a, an, a massive uncontrollable mm. sensation. I mean, it's, it's hard for anyone, but I just feel like it busts my nervous system open mm. big time. Mm-hmm. So having those things in mind, I'm also going to do the 40-day postpartum mm-hmm. and set myself up for mm-hmm. that. And um, I'm also going to do anesthesia, anesthesia hypnobirthing, mm. which is specifically designed to help you with the pain mm. during a natural birth. Amazing. And then, that sounds fabulous. Yeah, I know. I can't wait to get into that. And then just also refreshing myself on the whole process and the body's mm-hmm. wisdom and designing a plan around sleep mm-hmm. and the husband's involvement. And then the postpartum is really quite a serious plan. Like when did the mothers come in to help? Mm-hmm. When did the postpartum doula come in to help? Yeah. How long is the the husband going to take off? Who do you want at the birth? Who don't mm-hmm. you want? Like, what's the diet plan going to be? What's the healing plan going to be? And um, setting myself up work-wise as well with Jenna, where we're archiving, we're like busting our butts right now, collecting interviews and archiving and doing what we can. So by the time it's birth time, I can actually take 40 days off without multitasking. So So that's that's the new plan. I'm excited. I'm now just going to have the time to actually execute all those things. Yeah. 
And I just wanted to add that I'm just grateful to you because, you, you know, I feel like you even brought us this, this concept of the 40 days. I don't know if you knew about that after, before she came on our podcast, but um, I know a lot of moms who heard that episode when you were on our podcast that have like done the 40 days mm. now because of you. Oh, so I'm just Yay. grateful to you for spreading this information, talking about postpartum plans, because that's something I didn't have, but I know that more people are getting it just because mm-hmm. you. So mm-hmm. thank, thank you. you. Thank you. And all the people I learned from, you know, I mean, it's such an old tradition. We just lost the knowledge. It got buried. So I just feel like it is my work because I know how it worked for me and I just want to pass it on. So thank you. Thank you. Well done. You're doing it. <laughs> well, I'm just so grateful you both came and carved out the time. I know you're busy, busy women and moms. So thank you. And um, I look forward to our next chat. Maybe when pleasure. second baby. Uh-huh. <laughs> Never know. You can really put that plan to action. Yeah, exactly. I want to hear about the flip side. Yeah, yeah once you will. You're, once you're all healed and... Oh, don't worry. It'll be, I'll be raw and ready to share. Okay, awesome. Well, <laughs> I send you so much love and the rest of your pregnancy and... Happy, healthy home birth vibes. Thank you. I'll take I'll take it all. Yeah. Need those blessings. <laughs> all right. Bye, ladies. Bye. Bye. Bye.